congregation, as I already said, the entire passage we read this morning is the text for a sermon. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, last week we have been introduced to Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. He had received from his brother Hanani the shocking news that even after 83 years since the remnant of the Lord's people had returned to Jerusalem, the walls and the gates of the city were still in ruins. Some 150 years ago, the Lord had used the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar to chastise his people for their unfaithfulness. And Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed Jerusalem, he had the walls broken down, and the gates he had burned with fire. He had stripped the valuables from the temple and burned the temple also with fire. So the city was destroyed. But you see, Jerusalem still remained the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name forever. And so at the time that the Lord's people had returned to Jerusalem on the Zerubbabel and, and Joshua, the Lord had promised through his prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 1, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Well, the temple had indeed been rebuilt. But as I said, 83 years later, the city walls and the gates are still in ruins. And the Lord had promised that he would again choose Jerusalem. And we also know that the Lord will always keep his promises, but he will do it in his time. And now, after 83 years, in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, the scribe, it's time to rebuild Jerusalem. As a city with real walls and gates again. The Lord had instilled in Nehemiah's heart a deep love for the city of Jerusalem. It's the city of God. So as we learned from the last chapter, chapter 1, Upon hearing about the sad state of his beloved city, Jerusalem, Nehemiah was deeply grieved. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed for days on end. And then, in the beautiful prayer that we have in chapter 1, he asked the Lord to give him success in approaching King Artaxerxes with his request to return to Jerusalem to rebuild its walls and its gates. And the Lord had favorably answered Nehemiah's prayer and he had directed the king's heart so that he granted everything Nehemiah had asked for. And on top of that, also appointed Nehemiah as governor over the land of Judah. And so in the company of the king, by the king supplied soldiers and cavalry Nehemiah set out for Jerusalem, and that is where we left Nehemiah last time. Now this morning, we will now look at the next passage, chapter 2, beginning by 11 to the end of chapter 3. 
En wie doet het onder het team? The Lord ends the disgrace of his chosen city. And for this the Lord uses first the, his by himself inspired servant Nehemiah. And second, his by himself made willing people. Nehemiah, that Nehemiah was inspired by the Lord, that is clear from verse 12, where Nehemiah states that God had put it in his heart what he was to do for, Jer for Jerusalem. And that's very important to keep in mind. Nehemiah was called by the Lord, inspired by the Lord, not only in what he must do, but also in how to do it. God gave Nehemiah wisdom to do the task that he had given Nehemiah. And we can just imagine that Nehemiah's arrival, together with the soldiers and the cavalry, must have aroused the curiosity of and the hope of the people that lived in Jerusalem. A fellow countryman appointed to be their governor and taking up residence in their disgraced city. Now maybe things get better from now on. But the first three days, Nehemiah did, didn't take any action. He probably used these days to rest from the long journey he had made and so that he would approach the people he would, but we would have to work with with a clear mind. And of course, he had to acquaint himself with the mood of the leaders of the people in Jerusalem. Before he could do anything, he must know the kind of people he had to work with in the future. But after three days, at night, Nehemiah goes out to examine the ruined walls and the gates of the city. He takes only a few men with him. And all too soon he discovered that his brother Hanani had not exaggerated at all because the destruction Nehemiah encounters is so bad that, his, that the animal of, upon which he rode could not walk through the rubble. It was bad. So Nehemiah went out at night, very much in secret. He already knew about the op opposition of Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official. And he did not want to give a chance to ambush him. He had not even informed the officials in Jerusalem about his plans. And that, after all, was a good thing because from chapter 12, we learned that Eliashib, the high priest of all people, was very closely related to Tobiah, the Ammonite. So the enemy had powerful friends in Jerusalem. So notice how careful Nehemiah is, brothers and sisters. He does not right away tell the people what he is planning. He does not rush into things. No, he makes sure that he is well informed about what it would take to rebuild the city walls and the gates. And he does not just blindly assume the loyalty of the people that he has to work with. And, and one could ask, was that all really necessary for Nehemiah to be so circumspect, so careful? I mean... The Lord God himself have given, have given Nehemiah's task. 
and, and the Lord had already so wonderful provided. Now, would the Lord also not make sure that things would, the rest would turn out fine too? Could he not have just gone ahead and trust the Lord? Just let the Lord take care of the trouble and move on. Well, there are people who think that way. But it's not what the Bible teaches us. You see, not only does the Lord give faith to his people, but he has also given his people a mind. And he certainly wants us to use both. And that counts for all the gifts and the talents that the Lord gives to people. And as a rule, if the Lord appoints people to, for, to perform a certain task, he already has given them the gifts for it. He uses the character and the mindset of the people that he appoints. And that very much implies then that the Lord wants people to use their gifts in the performance of the task. And that is what Nehemiah does. He goes in faith, but he uses his mind. He thinks about what he does. He counts with the opposition. And he don't assume the cooperation of the people. Still the same today. The gifts that the Lord gives to his people, they, they must use. Read, for example, in 1 Timothy 3, that the Lord tells us which gifts elders and deacons should have, and that only those who have those gifts should be an elder and a deacon. Does this mean that those people should not use their gifts as long as they are not elders or deacons? No, absolutely not. They must use them. And then the Lord's people will recognize those gifts and, and, and follow them, vote for them in our case. And in turn, those elders and deacons must use the gift that the Lord gave them. They sh shouldn't use the influence of the people in the, for, for determining how they will perform their office for the word of God, for which they have received the gift to apply it in the right way and to be the leaders of the Lord's people. It counts for all of us, actually. The Lord has given each one, of each one of us a task to perform, and he has given us the gifts to do them. We must use these gifts and pray, always pray. God forbid that any of us would be like that one servant. Remember that in the, in the parable of the talents, one had received five talents, another three, and the last one only one. Now may God forbid that we are like that, the, the one who had received only one talent and, and didn't use our talents. You know what happened? What the Lord teaches about that. We should also pray. Whatever we do of our, of our task, our daily task, it is a task that the Lord has given us, and we should, every task that we take on, we should do prayerfully.
The Lord had called Nehemiah to be a leader of people and to rebuild his city. And the Lord had given Nehemiah the gifts he needed and Nehemiah used his gifts. He was careful. He knew that there was opposition. He informed himself of how much work needed to be done. And then he went finally to the people to recruit and to motivate those he wanted to help him building. It was not an easy task either to motivate the people. Already for generations, the people who lived in Jerusalem had learned to live with the rubble and the ruins of the walls. And yes, they realized they had no security this way, but what could they do about it? Somehow they had made it work for them. Those in power didn't want them to rebuild the walls and, and also look what an impossible task anyway. Look at those piles with burnt rubble. How, how does one ever get rid of it and, and build new walls? But Nehemiah, using his gifts and trusting the Lord, approaches the priest, the nobles and the officials. In short, in short, he approaches the civil and the religious leaders of the people. And he says, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that we will no longer suffer derision. Derision is contempt. But note that Nehemiah includes himself. Let us build. And we will no longer be a derision. Although Nehemiah is the highest official, he's the governor, the disgrace of his people is also his disgrace. Good leaders do not elevate themselves above the people. If they are good leaders, they will be elevated by those whom they lead. Nehemiah also realizes that he cannot motivate the people to undertake such backbreaking, difficult, and dangerous work just because he has an idea. Just because he commands it. And while he himself stays at a distance, he says, Come, let us. Let us. He's ready to begin to build himself. He's got his work clothes on already, you could say. And then he just, brothers and sisters, one more very important thing. And we read about that in verse 18 of chapter 2. There we read, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been not only for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. Nehemiah told them the whole story, how God had given him that great concern for his people and for the city of Jerusalem. And how he told them about his grieving for the trouble that they were in. He told them about his prayers day on end, day and night. For that is how the hand of his God had been heavy upon him. He also told them how all this had been for good. And how the Lord had answered his prayers by, and by bending the king's, king's heart in such wonderful and generous ways. You see, brothers and sisters, that is 
so very powerful. Nehemiah's personal testimony of what God had done for him and for his people. Now the people learn that it is not just Nehemiah as the new governor who had an idea to rebuild the city. No, it has been the Lord all along. All of a sudden, Nehemiah's idea becomes the Lord's command. The Lord is involved. And so we see that it is that testimony of what the Lord had done which convinces the people to say, let's start rebuilding. Then they begin this good work. Nehemiah did exactly what we read in Psalm 66, verse 16 through 19, where it says, Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise is on my tongue. If I had shared a sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened. And he heard the voice of my prayer, brothers and sisters, The communion of the saints is not in the first place having a coffee social and helping each other out at times. Those things are important. But it is in the first place, the communion of the saints is in the first place that believers find that communion in Christ, in what Christ has done and is doing for them. That is the communion of the saints. You see, the joy of an answered prayer, they must be shared. The peace the Lord gave you when you went to him with your trouble, it needs to be told. The joy of the assurance in your heart that your sins really are forgiven is not something to keep for yourself. It is with sharing the things the Lord is doing and the Lord has done that believers build each other up spiritually. And yes, I do know that we, Canadian free people, are in general not very much and very enthusiastic about personal testimonies. But that's really too bad. Because it is biblical, and it's a very powerful means to build each other up in the faith for real communion of the saints. Tell each other what God, what your God has done for you. What he's done for you and he's doing for you spiritually, but also in in everyday life. The answered prayers, the undeserved blessings. You see, if if you do that, it, it makes the active presence of the Lord among his people so much more real within the communion of the saints. And also the Lord will receive the praise Belonging to him. Now the Lord uses Nehemiah's personal testimony to win the people for that enormous task of rebuilding the walls and taking the disgrace, the shame away. The Lord is so faithful. He had chosen Jerusalem out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name forever. And therefore, Jerusalem will be rebuilt. Will be rebuilt because will it be rebuilt because of Nehemiah? Was it that finally the people deserved it? No. Why then? Why did Jerusalem need it to be rebuilt? And for the answer we need to turn to Mark 10, verse 33, 
But the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Jerusalem, it needed to be, its gate needed to be erased again so that they could be lifted up, so that the king of glory could enter. The gates, they needed to be restored again, so that the prophecy of Zechariah would come out where he says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. That's why Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. Because God is faithful. And his promises of the coming Messiah, he would keep. Because there in that Jerusalem, our Lord and Savior would bring his ultimate sacrifice to save the people from their sin. And after that, yes, Jerusalem would be destroyed again. But God's promise stands forever. And therefore, one day there will be a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And that Jerusalem will be forever. Now already that Jerusalem is being built. For the new Jerusalem is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his members are his fellow builders. And they are also willing builders. Made willing by the Lord himself. Just as in the time... Of Nehemiah, the Lord made people willing to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. He made his people willing. And I did this, we look now in a second point. Of course, when the adversaries heard about the plan of rebuilding the walls of the Lord's city, they tried to stop it. And that's how it always has been. And that's how it will be until the last day. Every time that the church gets active for the Lord, the devil will get active too. But Nehemiah, as the Lord's appointed leader, just brushes off the mockery and the insinuations of his adversaries. And he tells them, you have no share in Jerusalem or any historic right to it. Sambala, Tobiah, and Gesem, the the Arab Samaritans, people that worship the Lord, but at the same time serve the idols. And they had no right. They had no claim in the city of God. They did not belong to the Lord's covenant people, and so they were certainly not part of rebuilding God's city. But you see, it is the Lord's willing people that we will look at. And that is what chapter 3 is all about. And you probably wondered why I wrestled myself through an, uh, to, to, to chapter 3 with so many difficult to pronounce names. Just as you might wonder why Nehemiah found it necessary to write down all those names of people and what they did. But the closer you read chapter 3, brothers and sisters, the more you see that it tells us the story of the Lord's willing people. It's about people of all kinds of walks of life. We read of priests and rulers. Those are the important people, to be sure. 
wanneer de groep founder de needed the dignity to dirty their hands alongside every everyday working people and to submit to their supervisors. Goldsmiths, as well as perfume makers and merchants, turn their delicate, uncalloused hands to the backbreaking word of handling big, rough stones. And they all did what they could. For they were doing the Lord's work. They were building his city. We read that Eliashib, the high priest, together with his fellow priest, had the list of all those people. And they set the tone. They rebuilt the, 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 the sheep gate. That's the gate closest to the temple. And it's not a small thing to, re, to build a city gate. They were large And they needed towers on both sides and heavy timber. And it was, it was a backbreaking job. But they did it. And then they also built about 25 meters of wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, you read. It's about 80 feet. And then, it's still not being enough, they built about another 100 meters as far as the Tower of Hananiel. And, and then they set also the tone. By dedicating their work, they made a whole thing of it. They, they, they dedicated their work to the Lord. Well, and, and so they taught every other builder that the hard work they, they did was the Lord's work. It was for the Lord. Reading closely to this chapter, it tells us about the enthusiasm of the people. Seven times we read that certain people built another section. But Hebrew word translated with the word another literally means a second. This means that after they had finished their first section, they built an extra section to the wall. They were the men of Tekoa. You find them in the verses 5 and in verse 27. There was Mirmoth, the son of Uriah, in the verses 4 and the, in verse 4 and in verse 21. And Benui, the son of Henedad, in the verses 18 and 24. Just picture them. They were finished with building their section of the wall. Just imagine, dude, those walls were really high. Higher than, than here this room. And, and the stones they used were not small little stones. They were big blocks. And they had done a large section and They were done and they, and they were seeing that others were still working hard. So they looked each other in the eye and they said, shall we? And with a determined smile on their faces, they walked up to the next spot and started building again for the Lord. From Baruch, the, the son of Zabai, we read that he zealously repaired a second session. And from a list of priests in chapter 10, we learned that Baruch belonged to the priest that most likely had been building this, uh, on the sheep gate together with Eliashib, the high priest. But Baruch was so zealous, so enthusiastic for the Lord's work that he took on another piece all by himself. And look at verse 12. Speaking about the zeal and the enthusiasm of a family, here we meet Shalom, the son of Halohes, the ruler of the half district of Jerusalem. A ruler, not a man used to hard work, But he repaired together with his daughters. Girls doing men's work. A piece 
of all that according to a little map that I have must have been at least 60 meters, that's 200 feet long, together with his daughters. You see, such, such enthusiasm is, is, is contagious. And it is by itself such a blessing. I remember the time that with a small group of people we started what now is the United Reformed Church in Edmonton. A lot of work had to be done by very few people. But then too, there was that spirit that we were doing the Lord's work. And, and that is a spirit not of criticism, but of encouragement. Not of watching what others would contribute, but doing what you can. Sacrifices in time and sweat and money needed to be made, but they were seen as opportunities, and now, though sacrifices, they felt like blessings all the same. And something similar, maybe even more abundant, must have been the mood among the people that were repairing the walls and the gates of Jerusalem in the time of our text. And that all just illustrates the truth of what Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, yes, life forevermore. Let's always watch, brothers and sisters, that we do not lose focus of what the church really is. On the sad business it is when a church is Congregation is divided. When people of the same congregation are critical of each other, taking for granted the blessing of being a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's always watch that we keep in mind that work for or in the church is the Lord's work. And that your fellow members are the Lord's people. And that being active in the church is a blessing. If we would lose focus that it is the Lord's church, then enthusiasm will turn into boredom. Love will turn into indifference. And encouragement into negative criticism. And then traditions will take precedence over the things that really matter. And soon the Lord's church will be our church. And then it is only a matter of time and there is a dead church. Just like the church in Sardis. The seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. I know your works. You have the name of being alive, but you are dead. That's what happens when, when we lose focus of what the church is. And what being active in and for the church is. People who did the work of the Lord in the time of our text are named in this chapter. They were not only residents of Jerusalem, but also volunteers from cities and towns such as Jericho, Tekoa, Gibeon, Mizpah, Zanoa, Beth Hakram, Beth Sur, and Kaila. Those people they heard of the work undertaken in Jerusalem, they left their homes and their fields behind to do the Lord's work. They wanted a share in the city of God. 
The city the Lord has chosen to put his name forever. And of course, not all the names of all the workers were written out in this chapter. But you see, there is a book of remembrance before the Lord in which all these people, every one of them, and all the deeds are meticulously recorded. And, and it's true they already since long have, the, have died, already since long they rest from the labor, but the works and the deeds have followed after them. Not one was forgotten. They were the Lord's willing people in the day of his power. It is sad to say, but not also in that time, not everyone was willing. We read in verse 5 of chapter 3 that the nobles of the town of Tekoa would not stoop to serve their Lord. And in verse 13, we read of Hanun, the sixth son of Zelah, who repaired a section of the wall. But where was Father Zelah himself and his other five sons? The nobles of Tekoa and all those who refused to put their, their shoulders under the work of the Lord, all those who had no desire to do so, or were too busy to bother, or were too proud to work, their names and their refusals are also written in a book that is before God. And their part will be the same as that of Sambalat and Tobiah because they rejected their part in the city of God. It was for them a part that they had a historic right to. They belonged to the Lord's covenant people. The promises were to them too. But it did not come while the Lord gathered his willing people. And brothers and sisters, every time the Lord calls his people together, he invites them to take part in the building of his city, the new Jerusalem. And then the question to each one of us is, are we joining the builders? Are we willing to serve each other? Are we willing to share the gospel? Are we willing to live lives that will win others for Christ? Or do we allow our pride to tell us that we have more important things to do? Or do we allow our laziness to inform us that we don't have enough gifts? How important is to you the historic right you share in the new Jerusalem? The inheritance that has been promised to you when we are baptized. How important is this to you? No, we don't all have the same gifts. And we do not all have the same opportunities. Some of us are able to do only so much. And others maybe twice as much, but that doesn't matter. Are you a fellow builder? That's what counts. Because then, we, then one day you will hear the voice of your master saying to you, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share in your master's happiness. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, do we not all hope to hear those words said to us one day? Well, there is still much work to do in God's kingdom. There's still a lot to be built at the new Jerusalem. And the Lord Jesus said in John 9, we must 
work the works of him who sent me while it is day. That means while we are alive. For the night is coming when no one can work. Still day for each one of us. And the Lord is still gathering a willing people to build the walls of the new Jerusalem. Are you willing? Nehemiah worked, but he also prayed a lot, and so must we. We must spend much time on the foot of the cross, for there our thankfulness will grow, and there we'll receive the motivation to become God's fellow workers, to become his builders as well as his living stones, which will form the new Jerusalem, that one day soon will come down from heaven upon the new earth, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and then there will never more be broken walls or burnt gates, never more any shame or derision. It will be all glory. Amen. Let's sing Psalm 27, the stanzas 3 and 6.